0: more people here than when we started that's a beautiful thing good morning for those of you that didn't hear me say good morning to you already welcome it's good to have you uh, this morning here at new hope and um, if anybody slipped in and didn't hear my greeting i am scott sittig i serve as the lead pastor here at new hope it is a beautiful thing to to celebrate and worship with you on this first sunday of advent so welcome to the new christian year amen You've just heard from the prophet Isaiah, arguably one of the most important, uh, if not one of the uh, most well-known prophets in the Old Testament. He was a prophet to um, the kingdom, really, of Israel and Judah, primarily to one more than the other, but in this particular case, he's prophesying to both. I would like to give you a little bit of background as we enter into this. And uh, before I do that, I would like to just offer up a quick word of prayer. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we enter into this new series, as we uh, enter into this new Christian year, this beginning of Advent, we turn our hearts, we turn our attention to you. Away from family and good times and celebrations of the last few days. Not all the way yet towards the fulfillment of this season on Christmas. But Lord, today we turn our attention to that sign that you offered, that hope that you provided, that opportunity for us to face our fears and to look to you for the help that only you can provide. And so today, Lord, I pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts To be hearing, to be understanding, to turn our attention to you, and to stand firm in our faith. Empower us, embolden us, and strengthen us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The year is 735 B.C., so as Andrew mentioned, a little over two and a half millennia ago. The once mighty kingdom of Israel, ruled by the man known as the man after God's own heart, King David, had long since become a divided kingdom. There is a northern territory and there is a southern territory. You could think of it like this back in America when we had the Civil War. What if we had not ended up being a unified whole? That is the scenario that happened to Israel and to Judah at that time. For years, there had been political instability, turnover in the monarchy, and ongoing efforts from those outside of the country to take them over and to influence them. The people, the people of Israel, with a long history of being the people of God, had become divided in their hearts. They loved foreign gods. They created shrines and altars to them. They were divided both politically and socially, but most importantly, they were divided spiritually. They did not trust in God. They showed it by how they treated each other, but more importantly, they showed it by how they treated the poor and the vulnerable among them. It is into this environment that Isaiah, the prophet, comes onto to the scene. Isaiah was married. He likely had two children throughout his life. But at this point in the story, he has one child. You heard of Sher Jashub, who was, interestingly enough, invited to go along on his adventure to talk to the king. Isaiah was Self-described as a man of unclean lips, if you turned back a couple pages to Isaiah 6. Isaiah himself did not consider himself worthy of the calling to which he was being afforded the opportunity. And yet the angel touches his lips, cleanses him, purifies him, makes him able to do the work to which God has called him to do. And what is that? He is now called by God to speak into the apostasy, into the rebellion, into the distrust of the people of God in the hopes that they would come back to him and avoid their ultimate destruction. You see, this has been the pattern for the people of Israel for a long time. They were the people of God. They kept falling away. God kept bringing them back, and he had done it in a variety of ways. We're now in the period of their history where he is using prophets to do the work, to speak into their lives, to provide them hope, to draw them back to him. So in 735 BC, the Northern Territory, sometimes you'll hear it referred to as Ephraim, is making an alliance with a neighboring country known as Syria. You'll sometimes hear it referred to as Aram, A-R-A-M. And the idea is that by aligning, they are hopefully going to avoid being taken over by a much larger and more fierce nation known as Assyria. You see, during, during this time, Assyria is like the big political and military power, but they were ruthless. They were known for being very, very harsh on the countries that they took over. They did whatever they wanted. They took them over, and uh, they were brutal in the process, killing and pillaging and raping and doing whatever they wanted to do. They would run roughshod over all the nations. Israel... And Syria combined together were hoping to avoid that same fate. Israel decided with Syria that the best way that they could figure out how to do that was to invade Judah, the southern territory. The hopes was that the two of them overcoming Judah would align Judah with them and create a stronger military power to avoid Assyria from taking them over. This plays out like a really good movie, doesn't it? I mean, there's all kinds of political intrigue and kings and people and countries aligning with one another, and it's all going on in the time of Isaiah. The idea is if they took over Judah... They took over the capital city of Jerusalem. They would depose the then king Ahaz. By deposing King Ahaz, they would install their own puppet king. The three countries would then be stronger for it and be able to resist the takeover and the attack from Assyria. That's the backdrop. That's all what's going on in this story of Isaiah chapter 7. And it says... In verse 2, that King Ahaz, he's the king that's about to be taken over in Judah, it says that King Ahaz was afraid. It says he was scared. It says he was trembling. There's all kinds of words for it. It says that he was trembling like trees shake in a storm. That's pretty scared, wouldn't you say? King Ahaz is afraid of losing his power, his country, His legacy, he is afraid there will be a break in the monarchy. You should know that King Ahaz, the king at this time in Judah, is only about 20 years old. He's just a young man, the son of a long line of kings that had come through. He was raised in royalty. He was not necessarily a particularly wise or strong leader, and he's facing an insurmountable situation. I ask you this morning, have you ever found yourself facing an insurmountable situation? Up against a trial, a struggle in your life that has just simply left you feeling scared. Of course, our battle is not against nations, it's not against armies, but we're still fighting Battles. We are still working against changes in our lives, health issues, relationships that are breaking down, job changes, too many bills at the end of a paycheck. We're facing some insurmountable odds in our environment, in our country, in our world. If you're facing some insurmountable odds at the moment, this story is a story that speaks to you. The story of Ahaz and the fear that was gripping him at this moment. Where do we turn? Where do we turn in this moment when we're just so scared we don't exactly know what is coming next? You know, we have a couple of options, right? We have a couple of options. We can trust In God and try to follow Him all the way through it, or we can devise our own plans. We can follow our own wisdom. Which one do you think Ahaz chose? We'll come back to that, file that thought away. Because in this part of the story, in Isaiah chapter 7, he's given the opportunity to trust in God. He's given the opportunity to follow the way of hope in a God who had been faithful all the way through the story of the people of Israel. Ahaz was given the opportunity to hope. And what does it say down in verse 9? It says, You must have faith. You must have faith or you cannot stand. You must have faith or you cannot stand. And Isaiah comes along and he says, Just ask for a sign, king. Just ask for a sign, anything, any sign you want, to remind you that God is with you. And Ahaz, in a moment of true piety, says, Well, I will not test God that way. I'll not test God. And we all hear that and we say, oh Ahaz, you sound so pious. And oh Ahaz, you sound so good. But if you know the backstory, you know that that's not at all what's happening here. You see, Ahaz has already made up his mind how he's going to find his way through. And you could thumb back over to 2 Kings chapter 16 and you could read about this story. And it's a fascinating story. This 20-year-old young man who is given the opportunity to hope in God says, no, I think I'll put my trust in my own devices. Isaiah says, I'm giving you a chance. Ask for a sign. Ahaz says, no. Isaiah says, that's all right. I'm going to give you a sign anyway. Because that's who God is. I'm just going to give you a sign anyway. And that's where we have this most famous verse from the Old Testament. One of the most studied passages in all of the Old Testament scripture Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it reads a little bit like Matthew chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. You might be more familiar with Matthew chapter 1 verses 23 through 25 because it says there that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you are to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But where did they get that from? Where did Matthew and Luke and some of the others get that perspective from? All the way back to Isaiah eight centuries before. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he looks at King Ahaz and says, a virgin, the virgin that you know, the virgin that you are married to, King Ahaz, is going to give birth to, you're going to give birth. She's going to give birth, right? And you're going to give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because before that baby grows up, you're going to be relieved of all of this fear. It was a child that became the sign of hope for a nation that was suffering under the weight of oppression, for a nation that was suffering and was about to be overtaken. It was a little baby that came along from an unlikely source. At least in that context, the word probably means more like a young woman. And the term virgin in Isaiah 7.14 is not the same as we read in Matthew where there was an immaculate conception. This is just a young woman married to King Ahaz. And they do. They have a baby. You can read about that later in chapter 8. God intervened. Isaiah offered a sign of hope. And as I said, King Ahaz chose not to put his hope in God. You can read over in 2 Kings chapter 16, where he actually chose to reach out to the invading army, Assyria. King Ahaz chose to put his faith and his trust in the army that was about to invade Israel Syria, And we wouldn't know the outcome of that until 15 years later when Assyria actually does come in, takes over Israel, and Israel, the northern kingdom, is no more. And then within another 15 years, Assyria comes to invade the very king, Judah, the king at that time is Hezekiah, And God miraculously intervenes in Hezekiah's life and avoids the takeover of Judah. It's a fascinating story, but a story for another day. Ahaz was confronted with the option of who to trust. He chose to put his trust in an earthly solution. God had offered him and the people a sign of his faithfulness. God had offered him hope. He turned to what he felt he knew and what he felt he could trust. Nearly eight centuries later, God would intervene again. This time into what would now be a shell of the former powerful kingdom of Israel. Both the south and the north had been taken over centuries earlier and a remnant had returned to the land and that remnant had worked hard to restore the former glory. The days of King David, but they never ascended to the same heights. They had intermarried, the bloodlines were quite mixed. The territory was now occupied by Rome and previous to that by the Greeks. It was still a commercial hotspot. It was still a place that an intersection for the world economically, politically, socially. But the people, the people were longing for something different. They were up against it. The people were longing for hope. They were longing for a savior. They were longing for a messiah, someone or something to come along and change their fate. And God intervened again. This time with the sign of a child. Through another virgin. Another young woman. Matthew chapter 1 verses 23 through 25 explains that story. Joseph and Mary pledged to be married, but Mary pregnant. After being overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit, Joseph is perplexed. What is going on? What does this mean? And Matthew, the apostle, writing this all down years later, looks back to Isaiah and says, This is the sign. This was the sign. This was the sign of the Messiah. This is our sign of hope. So where does that leave us today? God intervened in the 8th century with a sign of a child. The New Testament church took that as a pre-revelation of the sign of the child we know as Jesus. That sign, Jesus, we know now as the Savior of the world. Amen? He is the sign that we cling to as we face the challenges of our own day. Think back for a minute to those fears, those trials. Think back about the burdens that you're facing in your family and with your friends. Sometimes we continue day after day to long for something different, for something better, for some relief, for something to change. We long for something more. We just want to be free of those fears and those burdens and that pain. We long to be at peace. God gives us a sign of hope. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. It was a reminder to the people in the 8th century. It was a reminder to the people in the 1st century. It's a reminder to us today that God is with us. Things are not yet as we want them to be, but one day they will be because he has been faithful all the way through. He has been with us us from the beginning he created us in his image he was there at the beginning we fell away he came along and he sent people prophets kings all kinds of people all along the way eventually he sent himself because it wasn't getting done and it was a reminder i'm with you i'm with you you can hope you don't have to be beat down by this life. You don't have to be overwhelmed by the circumstances of this life because I am with you. We simply must ask ourselves, are we with him? Are we following the true king or have we put our faith In other things? Is our allegiance to the one who offered the sign of hope, or is our allegiance to that which only brings temporary relief? And eventually, our destruction. You see, Advent, this season that we're in, it's a lot about remembering. That is a big focus of what Advent is all about. But the remembering is so that we can look forward. We remember so that we can look forward and be filled with hope. Advent is about questioning so that we can find some assurance in the hope of complete restoration. It is about a child. Amen? It is about a child full of hope given as a sign to remind us that God is with us. And I declare to you this morning, God is with you. He is ready to pick up the pieces of the things in your life that are broken. He is available to offer you hope. He is ready to take away fear and pain and doubt. His faithfulness is secure. As with Ahaz. We have to exercise our faith. The prophet told Ahaz, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand firm at all. If you want to memorize a verse from today, memorize Isaiah 7-9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand firm at all. When the trials of life and the struggles and things come against you, when you are up against it and you are feeling hopeless, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand firm at all. You will be blown around and tossed about, as James says, with the waves of doubt and fear. That's not the sign of hope. Today I light our first Advent candle Hopefully this works. It is the candle of hope. It is the sign that we use during Advent to remind us. To remind us of what God did for us so long ago. It's the hope that he offers. Even as we remember what God has done for us, we also look forward with hope that the future is in his hands. We're going to take some time to reflect this morning. We're going to give you some space to reflect on the hope of Emmanuel, of God with us. And I offer you this morning, if you don't know this God who I'm talking about, if you don't know this Jesus who I'm talking about, but your heart is stirring, your heart is strangely warmed somehow this morning, and you want to press into a deeper relationship, a deeper understanding of who he is, I invite you to take that next step this morning. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and I'm going to offer that you would say a simple prayer to yourself, not out loud, but everybody, please bow your heads this morning. I don't want you to leave this place without knowing Emmanuel, God with us. And if your heart is stirring this morning and you feel led, I just invite you to say the following words. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner. You're stirring in my heart. I know a little about you, but I want to know you more. Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Would you renew me in ways that I can't comprehend right now? Would you strengthen my faith so that I can one day understand more? I believe. I invite you to transform my heart and my life and to show me a new path. I invite you, Lord Jesus Christ, today to set me in a new direction. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I invite you to fill that out on a card and let us know so that I can follow up with you because I would like to talk with you about that decision and that choice that you have made. It is the most profound and the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. And I encourage you to live into it with all of your heart. It will not be easy. The road is not going to be paved with gold but it is the most valuable road that you will ever travel. For all of us now, we are going to take some time to just give you some space to reflect. We are going to sing an age-old hymn that goes back maybe more than 1,200 years. It is the hymn associated with this Sunday of Advent. O come, O come, Emmanuel. As you sing, we're going to provide space for you to reflect. There'll be some guided music, some time for some space to reflect and write. And should you choose to come up and use the altars, they are available for you as well. When we are finished, I will come back and we will partake of the communion elements. And therefore, I invite you also to use this time as a time of preparation. Ask the Lord to search your heart ask the Lord to test your heart as we talked about from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.